want to make mention of a couple of things before we get into the word. First of all, I want to um, you know, express uh, what we sent out an email regarding what, we, what, what, what is called the bridegroom fast that we've joined along with uh, David's tent who probably is near completion of, of the 21 day time period. Uh, we joined in uh, a week ago, a little over a week, week and a couple of days. And uh, make sure that if you haven't connected with that email, that you connect with that email and listen to the message by Dana Chandler from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City and connect. It's a, it's a different type of fast than I've ever experienced before. It's really worshipful, absolutely beautiful, um, just really focused on the person of Jesus and being with him and having him be with you. It's absolutely an awesome experience. And so I encourage you to really get into that. It's a 21-day season, and you could be involved in it whatever way the Lord leads you. You could do one day a week. You could do one week solid during that season. You could do um, you know, a meal a day, anything, uh, a combination that the Lord leads you to do. You might even consider fasting, uh, some are fasting social media, et cetera, things like that. Um, but it has to involve some food if you're able. And uh, if, if, there's a, if there's a physical issue, there's teaching uh, in, in Dana Chandler's teaching from IHOP uh, that will help you uh, got, be guided with that. So whatever, whatever it is that the Lord leads you to do, we encourage you to be a part of it. I think it's going to be an amazing experience in your life. And I believe it's, uh, it's already, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it and I think it's going to be beautiful for our church as well. The other thing I want to mention is about uh, something that's already been mentioned about the church family dinner and meeting, church family meeting after the service. You know, we, we really need your presence there if you're able to stay afterwards uh, so that we can process uh, together what we need to process um, regarding a particular need for, for Embassy Church. And uh, we, we encourage you to do that. And I want you to know that already God is working miraculously to meet that need. And, and it's been really an amazing thing. So we want you to hear the need, but also hear the, the beginning testimonies of what God is doing in that. So um, thank you, Pastor Jessica, for reading that scripture and leading us in that prayer, just for the revelation of God's love in our lives. I, I, wanna, uh, I said two things. I'm going to add a third. This is just a review like I normally do each week um, from last week. I just want to encourage you, especially in the holiday weekend, if you were out of town, uh, go to our Facebook page. And you'll see some beautiful pictures of people from our church family uh, from last week making presentations. And they were, they were responding to these two questions. They were actually spokespeople for their group, the small group that they were a part of. And they responded to these two questions. How can you be in relationship with God's family? And, and how can you help others to be in relationship with God's family? It was really a beautiful thing. And you'll see some of the answers. Actually, you'll see that kind of thematic answers. There was a lot that was about praying for one another. There was, there was talk about connecting with each other in between Sundays, uh, being involved in family groups, life groups, all, all of those different things. So I encourage you to go there and uh, to connect with that. All right, I just want to see, because they were working on a, a technical issue uh, this morning, and, and uh, uh, I just want to see, do we have slides up there not, or not? We do? Yeah? All right, so do we have the Father's Table? Up there, we could put that slide up for the Father's the heart of man. Is it up there? Yeah? No, this slide. Is it up there? Yeah, let's see. There it is. Right there. And uh, I, just, I just want to, um, uh, we're going to play a clip of this if everything works well at the end of the, at the, end of the message. Um, but I just want you to see the, the Father's table there. Just see the Father. He, he's, he's looking at his family, but he's also looking at those 
who are not yet at his table. And that's what we're going to talk about today when we talk about an empty seat at the table. Um, you know, it's beautiful that all these seats are full, but at one point, uh, one of these seats were empty and needed to be filled. And I just want you to have that in your mind as we begin to uh, get into God's Word uh, together and begin to uh, really express the, the thoughts that were of the passage that we're reading. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Slide um, Luke 15, verse 25. It says, The older son had been out in the field, but when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of his servants over and asked, What's going on here? The servant answered, Your brother has come home safe and sound, and your father ordered us to kill the best calf. The older brother got so angry that he would not even go into the house. He would not even go into the house. His father came out and begged him to go in. But he said to his father, For years I have worked for you like a slave, have always obeyed you, but you have never given me a little goat so that I could give a dinner for my friends. This other son of yours wasted your money on prostitutes. And now that he has come home, you ordered the best calf to be killed for a feast. His father replied, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we should be glad and celebrate because your brother was dead, but he is now alive. He was lost and has now been found. Dead, but alive. Lost, but found. We should celebrate. And the ghastly response of this son is that he refused to go in. He refused to celebrate the return of his brother. You know, I've quoted a few times in this series from a Middle Eastern New Testament professor, Bailey, and, and, and I want to quote again from him. The boy's anger and refusal to celebrate was a very sour note, discordant. Imagine being invited to the wedding of your sister and refusing to go if the father intends to walk her down the aisle. And in this case, publicly. So it was a public betrayal, not just of the father, but of the father's love, and not just of the father's love, but of the father's joy, Amen. the father's celebration. When the son was refusing to celebrate over his brother, he was also refusing to celebrate with his father, to share in his father's joy. The older brother not only refused to go in, not only refused to celebrate, but before this, he refused to go out and search for his brother. As the, as the older brother, that was his responsibility. He had more wealth of the father. He was given two-thirds of the estate when the younger son given a third of the estate in this culture. He had the resources. He should have cared about the brother leaving. He should have cared about the brother being gone. He should have sent out a search party, if not gone himself, to, to search far and wide. And yet he was indifferent to the empty seat at the table. He was indifferent to that empty seat. And I just want to encourage you, like I want to encourage me constantly throughout my life, don't be like that older brother. Don't miss out on the party. Don't miss out on the fun. Don't miss out on the celebration of seeing empty seats in the house of God filled with the lost and the dying. Yes. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. 
You know, the Dead Sea is dead because there's no outlet. Everything that flows in never flows out. I found this out when I was 17 years old and my dad brought me on one of his trips to Israel and as a dumb 17-year-old, and, and by the way, there's a lot of smart 17-year-olds. I guess I wasn't one of them. And, uh, and I, just, I just jumped into that water like I jumped into water swimming at home, eyes wide open, ready to look underwater. Do you know how much stuff is inside of that Dead Sea water? It's like just, I, my eyes were burning. I ran out, I got under a shower and stood, stood there for minutes trying to flush out my eyes. The reason why the Dead Sea is dead is because there's no outflow. And sometimes the reason why we're like the older brother is because there's no outflow. The reason why we're not celebrating is we're not concerned about the empty seat at the table. We're not seeing seats filled in the house of God. You know, it's beautiful because uh, this passage, when Jesus was accosted by the religious leaders and condemned for hanging out with sinners, and, and, and really tax collectors of that day were very crooked. They, they, they were... They were like not just taking money for Rome, they were taking money for themselves and it was all known what they were doing. This was an oppressive, corrupt government. And these were Jewish men and women that were serving the Roman government who were taking this. And here Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and hanging out with these sinners. And the, and the, and the religious uh, crowd is just flipping out about it. And what happened when they came and, 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 and confronted him with this? It says in the beginning of this chapter, he told them a parable. And it says he told them a parable, not three parables, but then he told them three stories. And what we learn from that is that all three stories are the same story. One is about a sheep and a shepherd. One is about a woman who, who lost a valuable coin. One is about a father who lost a son. And he told those stories one after the other. And, and, and he told about how they were lost and then they were found. And the end of the story is always the same. There's a party. There's a celebration. There's rejoicing. Look at verse 5 on the, on the screen there. It says, And when he finds it, speaking of the shepherd, he joyfully puts it, the sheep, on his shoulders and goes home. Notice he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, carries it home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. How many of you repented of your sins at some point in your past? How many of you have just recognized you're, you're lost without God, you need to come to God? Amen? All right? Did you know that when you did that, all of heaven rejoiced? Do you know that when you continue to repent, when you continue to align yourself by turning away from your own what, ideas to God's ideas for your own plans to God's plans every time you do that according to the scripture there's rejoicing going on in heaven now what I want to ask you is are, are you excited about that are you excited about that second question I want to ask you is are you excited about the other person who repents and all the rejoicing that goes on in heaven because of them and then I want to ask you a third question are you even or maybe even a little more excited when you were partially or entirely responsible somehow for leading that person to a place of repentance that caused all of heaven to rejoice? 
that there would be a, a celebration in heaven? I mean, you can imagine that. Now look at verse 9. Well, speaking of the woman and the, and the valuable coin, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Next verse. On the same thing, verse 22. But his father said to the servants, hurry and bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it so he can eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, but now has come back to life. He was lost and has now been found. And they began to celebrate. Who is they? Heaven is, is they that began to celebrate. Friends and neighbors of this father began to celebrate. The lost starving son began to celebrate. He had no food, now he has food. He had no love, now he has love. He wasn't a son, now he's a son. He's restored to the Father through the grace of the Father, the awesome grace of the Father, and there's celebration. But there's one alone in the story who is not rejoicing, who is unconcerned with an empty seat at the table. And again, that is the older brother. I just want to ask you this. Are you rejoicing? Are you seeking to save the lost? Are you seeking for the lost and dying? Are you rejoicing over those who are coming into the Father's house? Is that, is that, is that, your, uh, is that your life experience with Jesus? And I want to encourage you that that's, there should be no condemnation for you because if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. If the answer is no to that, all that you have to do is just do what this sinner did, is repent, is just turn to God and say, God, I want to be a part of your team. I want to get on the team. I want to be out there finding the lost. I want to be bringing them in, and I want to join in the celebration. And every time a new person comes into the church or comes into the family of God, I want to be a part of the celebration. Can you say amen? Amen. You know, I want to give, I want to give you, uh, did, have you recognized today that we're talking about evangelism? Have you recognized that we're talking about sharing the good news of Jesus with others? And I've never heard this statement before until the studies that I've done for this series. And the statement that I read in Timothy Keller's book blew me away. He said, evangelism should be doxological. Doxology. We sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we sing this beautiful song of praise to God. Have you ever thought of evangelism being praise to God? The Word of God says in Philemon, be active in sharing your faith because in doing so, you will know every good thing you have in Christ. When I first read that, I thought the Bible was confused. I thought the whole point was for me to share the, my faith with somebody else so that they would know every good thing in Christ. And yet this tells me, should I switch mics? Is that, should I just switch? I got this right here. Should I switch? Here we go. You ready? How's that? Whoa. Yeah, there we go. You know what? You know what I found when I took that scripture seriously? I started sharing my faith with others. And as I shared my faith with them, I got more excited about my faith. 
I was reminded what Jesus has done for me. It occurred to me when I was giving my testimony that all of a sudden I, I, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm like, I, it, like, it was like a new birth experience all over again. And that happens in evangelism. When you, when you ask somebody, how can I pray for you? It, it reminds you that you can go to God in prayer and you can give it all to him. And so when you share your faith with others, it, 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 it causes you to remember every good thing that you've received in Christ Jesus. But there's something else doxological about evangelism. And that is that every time a sinner comes to know God, every time somebody turns away from the stuff of this world to God Almighty, there's rejoicing in heaven and you join the celebration. I'm going to be honest with you. The approach to evangelism is, for me, often scary. It's often intimidate, intimidating. It's often awkward to me. And I, and I, for that reason, sometimes just go, oh, it's a little bit hard for me. And it's not, in a way, worshipful for me. But then I get over that and I say, you know what? I'm commanded to go and to reach the lost, to care for the lost, to care for the dying. And when, I, when I'm obedient, I begin to worship. Whether I feel it or not, I begin to worship out of my obedience. And then when I'm able to see the response of them, for instance, if they reject what I'm saying, I, I begin to feel the pain of God. And so I connect with God more. But if they respond and they say, yes, I want to know more about this, and they let you pray for them, then the party really begins. And so we have a beautiful celebration about, about coming. Uh, so I want to say this. The empty seat at the table is not only the person in the Father's house. The empty seat at the table is not only the person, I'm sorry, who is not at the Father's house. The empty seat at the table we find from this passage is you. If you're not at the table of sinners. We always talk about the need to be at the table of the Lord, to be in the house of God. But what this scripture teaches us is that we need to be in another house. Jesus was constantly in the house of the Father. He was constantly in relationship with the Spirit. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He was constantly connected to his own being, to the being of the Father, the being of the Holy Spirit, that one being in communion with each other. But notice the example of Jesus. This same Jesus that was so often in the house of God found it necessary to be in the house of sinners. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, it says this, that Jesus was the friend of sinners. And you know who said that? The religious leaders. And they said it as a criticism of Jesus. And I am sure that Jesus took their criticism as a compliment. I really believe that with all my heart. I believe that when they said, this man is a friend of sinners, how horrible, that Jesus was like, yeah, I am. Yeah, I, go ahead, speak about me. Because I'm out here seeking and saving the lost. I'm not out here just for the healthy. I'm here for the sick. I'm not out here just for the religious. I'm here for the irreligious. I'm not out here for those who are well. I'm out here for those who are miserable. I'm out not only for those who, who have lots of social interaction. I'm out here for the lonely. 
I'm not just out here for the people who are physically capable and, and well. I'm out here for the, for the ones who are racked with pain, who, are, who, who can't see where they're going or can't walk where they're going. That's who I'm here for. That's, that's who I've come to be here for. And I want to encourage us that we need to be at the Father's table, but we also need to be at the sinner's table. In fact, would you just go ahead and ask yourself that? Would you ask yourself, am I in the Father's house? I am, am I at the Father's table? And I know you can say yes to that. But then ask yourself the next question. Am I in the sinner's house? Am I at the sinner's table? You know, I, uh, what slide do we have up there? Do we have, you should care about the lost and dying, or do we already have that? Put that up there. We good? Yeah. I want to ask you a question. Why didn't the father seek his son? Did you ever ask that about this? Why didn't the father seek his son? He waited at home. He didn't go out like the shepherd went out. He didn't go out like the woman went out. And the answer to that, why didn't the father seek his son, is that he did seek the son. Remember who the storyteller is of this amazing parable. It's Jesus. And in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus tells us that he was sent by the Father to seek and save the lost. And Jesus also said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when Jesus was coming, the Father was coming. It's an amazing thing to see Jesus come into the world. And the older brother should have been the one to look. That because the older brother should have been the one to represent Jesus, who is the true older brother. And yet the older brother in this story didn't look. But Jesus, the true older brother, who Hebrews 2 says, is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. This true older brother came on a rescue mission to find us. So if Jesus came to find us, and that's his heart, that's the heart of the Father, that's the heart of Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit is constantly working toward. If that's the heart of God, then shouldn't that be our heart too? Feel free to say amen. amen. So the answer to this question, should you care about the lost and dying, is a resounding less. Notice in verse number one, it says, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. Think of it. And then in verse two, it says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that was a particular problem for the Jewish leaders at G in Jesus' day. Because what they were saying is, look, you never eat. You, like, the eating is a special thing. It's saying, I'm sharing relationship with you. We're friends. We're relatives. We're, we're, we're uh, in fellowship with each other. And what fellowship does light have with darkness? Even the scriptures say that. So they said, you know what? That means that we shouldn't hang out with any people that are in darkness. That if they have not turned to the light, we shouldn't hang out with them. And certainly those people that are not Jewish, who have not come to the faith of Yahweh, or not following the laws of Moses, we want nothing to do with them. And they believed that they were completely right, as religious people do, myself included at times in my life. We believe that we're completely right. We got even the Word of God on our side. 
But what we're doing is we're cherry picking the word of God. We're seeing that light we should would not be uh, light has no fellowship with darkness. We should come out from among them and all those things. But then we forget the other scripture that says that doesn't mean leave the world. We forget the other scripture that Jesus went and was there at the table of sinners. And so we've got to see what one statement means and not miss out on what the other statement means. And here when they were saying this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, Jesus is like, uh huh. That's exactly what I do. And that's what the older brother should be doing too. That's what all the people that consider themselves to be the people of God should do. So don't let the empty seat in the house of God be yours, but also don't let the empty seat in the sinner's house be yours. Fill that seat so that they will fill the seat of the house of, the house of God. Can I ask you this? Let's just bring it down to practical stuff. Have you walked across the street yet to introduce yourself to your neighbor? Have you done that? Have you done it not just to be neighborly, but have you done it to start a relationship that would bring them eventually into the Father's house? Have you introduced yourself to your neighbor across the street, across the hallway. I want to ask you this too. Are sinners on your prayer list? Are there people on your prayer list that you're praying to come to salvation? Paul said in Romans 9, my heart's desire for them and prayer to God to Israel, prayer to the God of Israel is that they might be, for Israel, is that they might be saved. It is biblical. It is the purpose of God that all people should be saved and everyone who's saved who gets saved has had somebody pray for them so even if you don't get to witness to somebody if you begin to pray for them you're a part of a, of a, of, of a celebration when they eventually come into the house of God it all happens through prayer you want me to give you some facts on this I wish I had this study I wasn't planning on quoting I quoted it a few weeks ago but I'll just give you this study in kind of the like generic terms but this church decided that they were going to pray for neighbors and they were only going to pray for uh, a certain group of neighbors and then another group of neighbors they weren't going to pray for. And they started praying for those neighbors every day, every day, every day. And then the others they didn't pray for, which sounds harsh, but they were doing a study. After they prayed, I don't remember what it was for, a long period of time after they prayed, they went and they introduced themselves to every single one of those neighbors, both the ones that they prayed for and the ones that they didn't pray for. And if I remember right, the response to them of people who received them into their home, I think even came to their church, and I'm vague on that, we'll have to look up the study, it, it, it actually went to church, they received the invitation, was it 60%, 70%? And the other was like 5% or 2%? Zero. The other was 0%. The other, and the people that they had prayed for, what I'm saying is, is that we have to have sinners on our prayer list. Can you say amen? amen. All right, let's look at the next slide. These are, um, uh, no, where, where are we? Oh, before we look at the next slide. Uh, no, do we have the shepherd collection up there? That's my shepherd collection. I've got, I've got that in my study, and I've got shepherds from all over the world. Shepherds have been... I actually give people money when they're traveling and say, bring me back a shepherd. When I travel, I bring back shepherds. Wow. And uh, I have them from all over the world. And, uh, and I have shepherds that were given to me by family members, people in this church, other people, etc. I have, I have uh, shepherds that were made by my kids when they were really little, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I have that right in front of me all the time to remind me 
that Jesus seeks and saves me, and he's seeking and saving others. That he doesn't want any seat to be empty. He wants every seat in his house to be filled. And it just reminds me over and over to pray for those who are in the Father's house, to pray for those who are outside of the Father's house, to be uh, beautifully in the Father's house, rejoicing, uh, celebrating, all of that. And I just want to encourage you. You should have a shepherd's collection. You should get yourself one. You should, you should begin to get shepherds from all over the world and, and just put them up there. But you know what? You don't have to do that. Just, just put up a scripture, a reminder that Jesus seeks and saves anything that you could put before me. And that'll be your version of a shepherd collection to remind yourself. Now let's look at the next one. Who are the lost and dying that you should care about? We're, we're called to seek the lost. And I just want to explain lost. People are lost. By the way, I just want to encourage you because sometimes people are like, we're, we're Christians, you're non-Christians, and we separate ourselves by that. You're, we're lost, you're, we're found, you're lost, and all that. By the way, everyone has at least been lost, okay? And, and if you notice this, that in life, everyone at some point gets lost. At some point, you need a map. At some point, you need some directions. You need a guide. You need a Google Earth or, or Waze or whatever you have to do to find the way to where you're going. So we all get lost. But what's, what's the definition of loss? This young son had lost money. He had, the, he had lost reputation. He had lost security, lost safety. He had lost uh, food. He had lost friends. But he'd also lost his identity. He didn't know that he was a, 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 still a son. Remember what he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. He had lost the father's house. He had lost it. Remember that this father represents God. So he lost the relationship with God. You can be lost in a moment of a day. You can be lost in a day. You can be lost in a week. You can be lost for a year. You can be lost for a lifetime. And you can be lost for all eternity. If you've lost your purpose, if you've lost trust, if you've lost love, if you've lost meaning, if you've lost, um, you know, your health, any of those things, uh, the, the appreciation for your humanity, if you've lost directions on what to do about how to live life, about where to work, where to, where to go to school, all of those things, all of those are descriptions of being lost. And we're called to seek and save the lost. But it also says, the lost and dying. And that brings in a whole other thing. He says, my son was lost and is found. He was dead and now is alive. And Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. See, God created us to be in relationship with him. But because of sin, we've turned our back on him. We can't be in relationship. So we're spiritually lost. And this is a death that is the ultimate death. It leads to an eternal separation with God. And I just thought of this as I was driving. Let me just drink a little something here. That was for your sake, not for mine, by the way. As I was driving here this morning, I love the drive on Mass Ave. What beautiful homes in this area. And we've got to know so many people. This, this, is, this is the city of... This is not the city of the rich and powerful. That's the way I say it. This is the city of the powerful and rich. Because there are some people that come here and because of their power, they get rich. Have you noticed that? Like all of a sudden they get connected and they get some power, you know, some notoriety. And then they all of a sudden have millions of dollars in their bank account. And you wonder. And so I just say this is the city of the, of the powerful and, or the powerful and rich. 
And you know what? I look around at the community around us, all the multi-million dollar homes and all the people that are around here that seem to have so much. But you know what? I've gotten beyond all of the uh, manicured lawns and the beautiful big homes and all that. And I found through meeting people, this community is lost. For the most part, this is a spiritually dead community. Secularism, materialism, all of these things are the gods of this community that we live in. So we should not be discouraged by that. We should recognize that we have one of the greatest opportunities to, to fulfill this passage of Scripture that we're talking about here and the heart of God than we could ever possibly have. A few years ago, Carol and I were out at a World uh, Prayer Center in Colorado, and, and, and as we were going at restaurants and in the airport, uh, we just engaged in conversation with people, and, and the purpose was to get to know them and see if we could have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus and just share our faith with them, ask them how we could pray for them, etc. And I just did that one time after another. Carol and I were there together, and we just started engaging, and I started asking people about the Lord and all that. And I think every single person that we talked to already knew Jesus, was in fellowship with God, was in a part of a beautiful church, and, and as I was experiencing that, I was rejoicing in what God was doing in, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, but I couldn't wait to get back to Washington, D.C., I couldn't wait to get back to find somebody that I could talk to about the Lord that would, at, at the enemy sharing with them, says, I've never heard that before. And that's where we get really into that place of worship, is when we find we can celebrate with those who are found, but it's an amazing thing to find the lost. It's beautiful, and, uh, and it's a great experience. But here, let's look at what results we can expect from caring uh, about the lost and dying. What results can you expect from caring about the lost and dying? You know, surprisingly... According to the ministry of Jesus, the first thing that you could expect when you care about the lost and dying are crowds. Crowds. Full houses of God. Amen? Look at what it says. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. If we care about the lost and dying, we can expect a full house, crowds of people. You know what Timothy Keller said? He says, if our churches are not full, we must not be preaching the same message as Jesus. Because what he shared with them is that it's not the, 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 the people that, that, that are the religious that seem to flock around Jesus. It was, the, it was the notorious sinners. It was the rejects of society. It was the castaways of society. It was the sick and the needy and the poor that were, that were thronging around Jesus. They were the ones that were his crowds. They were coming around him, and, 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 and he says, if our churches are not full, we must not be preaching the same message as Jesus. We must not. But I would add something. It might not be that we're not preaching the same message as Jesus. It might be that we're not preaching. Thank you. And I would add a third thing. It might be that we're preaching, but we're only preaching in the church. And we're not preaching outside of the church. Jesus' pulpit was as much, if not more, and it was more, outside of the synagogue than it was inside of the synagogue. Notice that Paul, who by trade was not only a, a, a religious scholar, but also a tent maker. And tent makers are in the marketplace. 
They make their tents, and then they bring them to the marketplace to sell them. Notice that what Paul did in ministry everywhere he went, he went first to the house of God. He went to the synagogue. But after he went to the synagogue, he went into the marketplace. He went into the public square. He went down by the river where, where, where those women were, where they were just praying, and those women were there selling their, 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 their purple uh, embroidering cloths, and etc. And that started the church in these different cities. And so it, we can expect a full house, but only if we're preaching the same message of Jesus, preaching it in the church, and preaching it outside of the church. Somebody's got to help me and say amen here. Crowds gather, notice crowds gather when Jesus is present and active. That's why we say that we are not a church unless we're a house of God, unless we're a home for God among the nations, in the nation's capital. If we're not a home, if Jesus is not here and he's not active among us, we can't expect for crowds to come. We can't even expect that we're eventually going to be excited to come. We've got to make sure that Jesus is alive and well in his house. Can you say amen? Amen. Any church where Jesus is and does what Jesus does will be attracting crowds. Now, I want to tell you a prophecy if you haven't heard it from our church. And most of you have heard it. But in that room right over there, a baby believer... I didn't even know he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know he knew who the Holy Spirit was. He was like weeks old in Jesus. And all of a sudden, he started to weep where tears were literally squirting out of his eyes. And he was just like a few weeks old in Jesus. And I was like, I opened my eyes and I felt the Spirit. I, with my eyes closed, I knew the Spirit of God was on him. And I opened my eyes and I saw these tears squirting out of his eyes. And then he began to pray. But to my astonishment, the prayer was not a prayer. It was a prophecy. And it's been a guiding prophecy for this house since then. And he prayed, prophesied this. Don't pray for people to come. Pray for God to come. And he will bring the people. Don't try to attract people. Attract God. And he will attract people. That means just what Jesus said. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. So if you put God's priority. God, God is the priority in the house first. If you make sure that God's happy, that God's hosted, that God is respected, that God is honored, that God is prayed to, that God is worshipped, that God is heard from through prophecy, through scripture, all of those things, that you're in authentic relationship with God and you're in authentic relationship with each other, then you put your priority on God and, and that will be attractive to this world. But I just want to say this. That does not mean that does not mean that, 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 that if you, uh, you know, uh, attract God, that you shouldn't go out and, and, and leave the house that you're in, that you're preparing for God. According to this scripture, it doesn't say don't, it doesn't say don't go out. It says don't pray for people to come. Don't try to attract people. But, it, but, but, but it's, it's totally in line with Scripture. It brings us to Scripture about putting God first. But you have to remember the next part of that. That when you connect with God, you share that connection with others. And so that's the beautiful thing is that we're in the house experiencing God, but we got to get out of the house experiencing God. Can you say amen? So, but by the way, this whole crowd thing doesn't mean that everyone will accept your invitation to the party, your graceful invitation, your graceful welcome. You can expect a full house, but according to this very scripture and so many others, you can also expect rejection. The younger son 
went into the house, the older son rejected. I will have none of it. And when you're out there, you can, you can have a lot of people that say, oh, I've never heard this before. I'm attracted to this. I didn't know you could have a relationship with God. I was, I was in my wife's office the other day, and, and, I, and I was receiving a, a medical care in her office, just kind of common, ordinary medical care stuff. And, and, uh, and, and I was there doing that, and there was a gentleman across from me, and, and, uh, and I, I, I didn't know anything in his life. And I just said hi to him eventually, and and we just kind of joked a little bit together and, and, and kind of cracked the ice with some humor. And, 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 then, uh, and then we started talking. And I just asked him, so how are you doing? And he says, actually, I'm not doing well. He says, I, I have cancer. I have a really aggressive form of cancer. And I just asked him, you know, uh, as we talked a little bit more, I said, you know, would you, would you be okay if I just pray for you? I just believe in, I, I just have experienced, you know, through prayer so much of what God does in our lives. And, and I, I, I don't know about your relationship with God or any, your connection with God or anything like that. But I, I, would you mind if I just pray for you? He goes, no, I wouldn't mind at all. And I just prayed for him. And I was so shocked by his shocked expression at the end of that prayer. He looked at me like, is it like it was like is this possible like can you have that kind of connection with like I I felt like he was saying by his expression I never knew you could do that I never knew you could experience that kind of accessibility to God and that you could trust God and that you could welcome the presence of God and you could trust him even when your health was running out and I just feel like God was doing something in his life and so um you know I I I, there was a reception there, but, but there are other people you can ask to pray for, and you might have you know, a rejection from them. T- Timothy Keller said, in general, religiously observant people were offended by Jesus, but those estranged from religious and moral observance were intrigued and attracted to him. Yes. All right? So what should you expect when you care about the, the lost and the dying? What should you expect? You should expect crowds if you're really, really excited, you know, knowing the good news and sharing the good news in the church, outside of the church, but you also can experience some rejection of those who just refuse to enter into the Father's house and because they might be in one category or they might be in the other category. And, and you, you just got to expect that. You got to expect closed doors and open doors. How many of you that have shared your faith before have had closed doors? All right. Now, how many of you that have had shared your faith before have had open doors? Wow, that's awesome. Amen. Guess what? Sometimes you have a closed door, and it's the will of God for you to close that, for that door to be closed to you. You know why? Because statistically, through studies that have been found, oftentimes people need seven, like, beautiful, clear gospel presentations before they come to know the Lord Jesus. So you might have the door closed on you, but you might be the sixth one when the seventh one goes and shares with them. And because you help to continue to open up their heart, they're ready. And the seventh one who comes says, I, I got to listen to this. And they finally give in and they come into the father's house. Come on, let's give God praise. So Jesus is on the side neither of the religious nor the non-religious. Um, he, he singles out rebellious moralism as a particularly deadly spiritual condition because, you know, that's what the older son represented. But notice this, that even the son who refused him, the father still went out to him. That's right. Did you notice that? Even the son who rejected him, the father still went out. You might not get results. I heard a missionary, Dave, I forget his wife's name, but David, David Leatherberry, 
They were in Afghanistan for 25 years before they had one person come to know Jesus. And they evangelized constantly. They were sharing their faith. And they, and they, they just shared and shared and shared their faith. 25 years it took before somebody came to know Jesus. You would think that they would give up. But they knew the heart of God. They knew that you constantly seek. You constantly knock on the door for it to be open. You constantly care for the lost even if they're resistant. And then in his book that documents this, he says somehow after 25 years, it was like the gates of heaven opened up on Afghanistan. And people started to come by not just the one, but by the tens, and then later on by the hundreds, and by the thousands. And, and we're just trusting in God because there's still a desperately uh, uh, you know, serious situation there, not only physically, but spiritually. But when you look at that trajectory, you know this, that you can't give up when, the, when, when, you, do, when, you, when you have some rejection. You've got to be continually going on because God's going to crack it wide open. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. Can you say amen? All right. When you get a chance, I'm going to give you some homework because I don't have time to read this whole passage, but read Luke chapter 14, verse 16, verse 16 through 24. Is it up there on the screen so you can write it down? Luke 16, or Luke 14, 16 through 24. Write that down and see how Jesus told us. Go into the streets, go into the lanes, go into the, in the avenues and in the, in the, in the alleyways and, 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 and compel them to come in. And if some reject you, go and get the ones who won't reject you. Never stop until God's house is built. Bill Johnson in Hosting the Presence workbook, devotional that I've been going through with Hosting the Presence, he said the reality challenges all of us. As these are the very people whose conditions, maladies, and lifestyles are elements that set them up for life-changing encounters with God. By the way, if you're going to win people to the Lord, you're going to find a lot of needy people. And when you find a lot of needy people, don't run away. Because God has set up a supernatural uh, appointment for you. Because it's often those people who are needy that God wants to give us an entrance into their lives. I want to just go quickly through this. What do you do with the lost and dying? What do you do with them? If you care about them, what do you do? Number one, you love them. Number two, you become their friend. Number one, above those, number one and two, is you pray, pray for them. And when you get to be their, when you start to love them and you get to be their friend, number three is you pray with them. Okay? So what do you do with the lost? You love them, you befriend them, you pray for them, and then you pray with them. You know, sometimes I don't know how to evangelize, and I just say, is there anything I could pray for you about? You know what I thought about when I was prayer walking this neighborhood recently? I want to go to every home and not say, hey, we're from church, would you come? I, or where, would you let us share the faith with you? I'd like to go to every home and say, hey, we're from the church here, and we, we've been experiencing beautiful things in prayer. You might not even believe in prayer, that's okay. But is there anything we could pray for you about? And just, and just let the presence of God permeate cold, spiritually cold and spiritually dead households all around us. And, and when that happens, all of a sudden, it's an opportunity for a sign, for a wonder, for a miracle, for a healing, for a provision, something supernatural that would wake them up out of their spiritual sleep and slumber and death and just all of a sudden have them recognize, wow, there is a God and this God loves me. So serve them, have compassion on them. If you want a book, that you can get a hold of that'll help you in this. This is a great book. It's Jim Peterson, Living Proof. And I'll leave it here if you want to write that down. Jim Peterson, Living Proof. And then this one, how can you be motivated to care about the lost and dying? I, I want to ask, you know, um, I want to ask my wife and, and Jess, who, 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 my wife, 
Uh, everything I, everything I uh, am wondering about, I ask the Lord and I ask my wife, okay? Because she's my number one counselor, you know. And then I also constantly mask and I mean, the elders and trustees, those meetings are, you know, monthly, bi-monthly and stuff like that. At, but, but on a constant basis, I'm asking Jess stuff in the office and things. How about this? How about that? I got a dilemma. I'm, we're done on time. And I, I want to talk about the most important point, And I don't know what to do. Speak it. No, I can't listen to Jeanette. Jeanette's, Jeanette's the most radical believer in the world right here. Uh, huh? Yeah, can we do that? Can we do five minutes? Is that right? Yeah. This is so powerful. I can't miss this. And I, I, everyone okay for five? We're going to feed you. We're going to feed you. So don't worry. We're all going to feed each other and all that in a little bit. The next one is how can you be motivated to care about the lost and dying? I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I don't give a rip. Wow, you thought I was spiritual, didn't you? You're like, I keep hearing them on Sunday. He seems so spiritual. Sometimes I'm looking more at people, how, how goofy they look. I'm like, you were what? Out of the house? I'm not thinking about them being lost, needing Jesus. I'm just thinking about how weird they are. And then I'm, I'm focused on how rude they are. How could you be so rude? And I, I just want to, I want to ask myself, how can I be motivated to care about the lost and dying? I know I have to be. If I'm, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I know I have to get out of my own world and get in, in, in the real world. I got to get in other people's world. I got I to be touched by the feelings of their infirmities. I got to be touched by their lostness and, and recognize that they're lost, they're dying. And, and I just want to say this, the, the answer I want to give to you is, do you know the heart of the Father? Because if you know the heart of the Father, you'll have all the motivation you need. If you know the heart of the Father, you'll have all the motivation you need. Timothy Keller said, It is hard to become convinced that the motivating factor, transforming factor in a relationship with God is grace. Perhaps it is even more difficult to believe that the motivating factor in human relationships is grace. Grace is what motivates us. When we know grace... We will desperately desire others to know grace. I've had this happen to me, I'm going to say like a million times. I don't know if it's less than that or more than that. I mean, it just seems like it's thousands and thousands of times that I've been in the presence of God and I've been overwhelmed by the cross. And after I'm loving the cross for myself, I start praying, but Jesus, there's a whole world that doesn't know the cross. When I speak the name of Jesus, I think there's, there's a, a half a world out there that's never heard the name of Jesus. That's why I'm so excited about going to the Philippines in August to set up our trip to go to the Philippines and Cambodia next year sometime uh, with those two Bible colleges in the Philippines and Cambodia. Because I've been wanting to go to Cambodia, I've been praying for Cambodia for 30 years, and now I've come to love Philippines because all of you Filipino people out there, I just want to go there, I need to go there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just excited about going there, but I'm excited about meeting a Cambodian who's never heard the name of Jesus, never in their life heard the name of Jesus. Because when I'm in the presence of God, I constantly think about those who don't know that presence, who don't know the cross, who don't know the grace. And this is the prayer that I've said over and over, the same exact sentence, after all of the experience of the grace of God. Oh, that the world would know your saving grace. Yeah. 
What motivates evangelism sustainably is not fear. It's not you being afraid of not evangelizing. You being afraid of disobeying the command to preach to the lost. It's not even the fear of them being lost for all eternity. It's not the fear of yourself being lost. All of those things have a factor. All of those things play a part. But the only thing that will sustain you to perpetually be involved in the work, in the heart of caring for the lost and the dying and reaching the lost and dying is not fear. It's grace. It's the same thing that motivates you to be successful in your Christian life, to overcome all of your sinful habits, all of that stuff. It's just the cross, knowing that God loves you unconditionally, will cause you to unconditionally love this world. Can you say amen? On the way in, I had this song coming in, and Mamie and I, my, my mother-in-law, Mamie and I, were singing it together, uh, the old rugged cross, and I, and I just sang that, that line over and over, and I love that old cross, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. You know, I don't, I don't just reach the lost because I'm afraid of them being without God. I reach the lost because I know a father who rejoices when they come to know him. Jesus says, I, I went to the cross for this reason and this reason only. For the joy that was set before me. That's why I went to the cross. That's why I despise the shame. For the joy set before me. What is that joy? It's the joy of having somebody who's a sinner. And all of us are sinners. All of us have been sinners without repentance all, at times in our lives. We haven't come to God. All of us have been in that state. And the joy of God is to find you in that sinful state. And through His precious atoning blood, His sinless blood, to wash away sin, to wash away every stain, to wash away the guilt, to wash away the shame. It's his joy. That's what brings him joy. That's why he went to the cross. And so you know one of the reasons that I evangelize? I evangelize to make my father happy. I, I evangelize to make my Lord Jesus have more joy. If he went to the cross for joy, I want to give him more joy. I want to find another person for him in northwest Washington, D.C. I want to have people on my prayer list. I want to not walk across the street and introduce myself, not just for my own joy, but I want to create a party in heaven. I want the heaven to be joyful. I want all of the angels to be joyful. All of that is going to motivate us to get in to, to, to this ministry of evangelism. Can you say amen? amen? This is what the sinful son, both of them were sinful, but one didn't know it. And this is what Jesus did. He brought that older son along and he said, you know, come alongside me. He says, he said, and he used the word father and he said, come. And the word there is in, in the Greek is para and it means to come alongside. And what he was doing is he was saying, I want to, I want to have you come alongside me so that you can see the world the way that I see it. And the father brought that rebellious uh, older son alongside him and says, you don't care about your brother. Come and see him the way I see him. And you will be involved in, in celebration and looking and finding the lost. So look at the world from the father's eyes. Look at the world with a father's heart. And by the way, this can only happen by prayer. 
When you're in the presence of God, it can only happen by reading the Word of God. It can only happen by you looking at Jesus who is constantly seeking and saving the lost, getting to know the Holy Spirit is going after the lost. And read, I would just say this, simplest thing in the world, read this one story for an entire month every single day. Read it every single day. Just this one story. You go, I don't know where to read the Bible. Well, don't ask that question anymore. I'm telling you where to read the Bible. Just for, just for a month or a week or three days in a row, habitually, 21 days, whatever it takes, read this story and just think about how Jesus goes after the loss and watch what happens in you. You will become a person who begins to do the same thing. Um, make space for grace. Make space for grace. You lack grace in your life for others? Make space by getting in the presence of God. Hey, I'm going to give you an illustration that, that Jess gave me in the office um, the, uh, this, this week. Do you remember, if you were here last week, do you remember how it started burning? And we had like, we were wondering if there was a fire in the building? I'm going to tell you what happened. There was a motor in that, in that see that vent over there? There was a motor down in there for the AC system, and it started to burn up. And you might think, oh, that's bad news. No, it was good news. Because there's a switch, there's a safety switch on there. That if, if that motor starts to uh, go into overdrive, there was a wrong switch flip, flipped, and it went into overdrive as a result of that. And if it goes into overdrive, it immediately turns it off as soon as, as it smells the burning, you know, as, as it you know, senses the heat. And so that smell that we had was actually good news. Thank God. Amen. And, uh, and so it went off. And, 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 and we got the guy here, our HVAC guy came, he's a believer, he loves working in the house of God here, he's an amazing man, and he came in and he says, you know what I had to do? I had to reset the switch. I just had to reset the switch. You know what we were glad about? That wasn't a thousand dollar project, that wasn't a five thousand, it was just flip the switch, you know? So we paid him for the hour and he was gone, you know? And, uh, and so, all you, you know what, what I'm saying to you is, maybe your flip just needs to be switched. Maybe your switch just needs to be flipped. Flip needs to be switched. That almost works. And uh, I'm just saying this. Sometimes we get down on ourselves because we're cold, spiritually cold. We don't care. We don't care about God. We don't care about others. You know what we did? We didn't, we didn't get upset. I didn't start kicking Jess and her kicking me and we're calling the trustees and cussing them out. You know, we didn't like get, you know, we just called the mechanic. He knows what to do. And he came back and he just reset and sometimes we need a reset. And when we need a reset, all of a sudden the cold air, the nice temperature comes back. And it reboots. And then as it reboots, over time it re revamps. It just ramps up. It just ramps up. And, and we just get you know, the right temperature. And let God set your... If your temperature is the wrong temperature, let God set your temperature. Get in the presence of God. And, and when, you, when you get to know the Father who saw, saw His Son and had compassion on Him, you'll have some compassion too. Can you say amen? All right. Wow, I really went over. But what can I say? Hey, are we going to watch the film? Are we going to try? Hey, before we watch the film, if we're going to try it, there were technical stuff. We'll see if it works. This film is from the heart of man. It's a clip from the heart of man. And we've showed this already, just the first part of this, but we're going to show a second part. And the first part, if you were here before, you'll recognize that this father is loving his sinful son. But then when you see the rest of the story, you'll see how the father turns his attention not only to his one sinful son, but to other sinful sons and daughters. And then how the father turned the attention of his sinful son 
out to the people who were also sinful and lost and dying and he needed them. I just want to, are, are we almost ready for that? Are we going to be ready? Okay, let's try it. And I'm going to hold off on what I'm going to say for practical application of this message in just a moment. But let's see first if this will work.